because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night and good luck. It's One American Podcast live with Adam Kokesh. What's up, man? Hey, hey. Thanks for having me on, Chase. Thanks for coming on, man. I've been a fan of yours for some time. I think the first time I ever came across you was um, Joe Rogan's podcast, which you've since been censored from. So you're not surprised that I'm smoking pot and look like I put the chainsaw down five minutes ago. It doesn't that's, bother me. Those are both... <laughs> <laughs> it's been an no. awesome day here in Gardenia, man. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm coming like into this interview, just super adrenaline pump because I've, I've been working on my property all day uh, here in Gardenia, the Garden of Freedom, trimming up uh, juniper trees with, uh, really? with, with my chainsaw. And I got to say, man, I'm, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. You know, World War Three is starting. The economy is tanking, gas prices are soaring, and as much as my heart breaks for everybody who's suffering as a result of all of those things, I am I am blissfully in a different world up here in the mountains of Arizona. And you know, I I know that it, since you've been a fan of mine, you've seen my message evolve. I think over the years, and this is the most important thing is to go from, you know, fighting to loving. You don't fight for humanity. You don't fight for freedom. You love for humanity. You love for freedom. You, know, you choose to engage in the world and in life in a way that is that is loving and enriching. And I don't want to tell people you're wrong for doing this. You're wrong for being dependent on the evil system. You're wrong for working a W-2 job where the average working American is working for government over half the year when you had a blah, 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 blah. Nah, man, just, oh, I want to, I want to be an example, you know? And yeah. I feel like for, for so much of, of, of my, my career as an activist so far as a public figure I've been a bad example. I've been I've been angry. I've always been a pot smoker since since I got out of the Marines at least. But um, I mean, in, 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 it, it's it's taken me. You know, see, I got out of the Marine Corps November 30, two thousand six, and uh, moved to DC to get a master's in political management at George Washington University. I, I got all this sawdust in my mustache now, and it's like I tell you ugh. what, you look like a man's man. <laughs> Brockwell would paint you if he was still around. He'd be all over it like a hobo on a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta put on my like, my my work goggles and my 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 matching bandana, and I'll be like, now you got the McAfee look going, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, careful! The McAfee look is murdered in a foreign prison. Uh, but yeah, I I, I feel like what what I'm able to represent now, you know, and, and being able to do a podcast, like with dirt on my face and sawdust in my beard. And like, I'm going to pick my nose and, and smoke weed in front of your audience. Like, Hey, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have anybody to impress anymore. You know, I'm, I've achieved not just in my lifestyle, you know, a certain, you know, peace and happiness and, 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 and a paradise for myself here, you know, in my homestead and, and, I'm, I'm ecstatic 
in in what I do every day in building the homestead, building the life, building the relationships, building you know businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And I just want to share that with people, you know. Um, and 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 it's the same thing about I want I, I don't know if you noticed, but I've 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 been vegan for about four years. And for what reason? Just health reasons or moral reasons? Both. Both. Um, Do you ever cheat? I believe that none of the when when I ask other libertarians, like what qualifies you for the non-aggression principle? What's your answer, Chase? I mean, you I, you believe in the non-aggression principle? I mean, you understand the non-aggression principle, I assume. Uh, please explain it to me. Okay, right, well, yeah, for better, there, just to be sure. Sure, for the benefit of your audience and to, to set terms, the non-aggression principle is the foundational ethical principle behind libertarianism based on self-ownership, that as a divine, independent human consciousness, it is an observation of reality that you own yourself, and that should right. be respected. Relationships that should therefore be free of aggression, force, fraud, or coercion, anything that violates that self-ownership. And when we live in a world where all human relations are voluntary, that is, they are free of force, fraud, and coercion, in a voluntary society, we are free. Our will, our individual independent will as human beings is able to be expressed without impediment of, of uh, other people. And um, so what was my question for you again? You, well, you, my you, definition you subscribe- of the, the non-aggression principle was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, said, you tell me I'm, yours. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sidebar like too much on, you know, debating, you know, how many libertarian angels would dance on the head of a pin. But do, sure. do you subscribe to, to some sort of universal ethics that's like inherent to the human condition? Yeah, I would say that um, I, I am not quite a libertarian, though I could easily become one. I'm a, I'm a Lockean. I have second treaties of government. That's where I am philosophically well, right now. I, I don't, I don't believe that those are at all uh, in any way contradictory or in any disagreement. I would say I'm a Lockean too. Uh, yeah, they, they may not be, but I, I, I tend to think that there's a little bit more place for government than, than the libertarians today, at least. Well, well, so then you're defining libertarianism by libertarians today. And and I would yeah. I would really disagree with that because libertarianism is is fundamentally different from most other political ideologies and certainly from liberalism and conservatism, which are are vague, culturally defined notions. Libertarianism is is a very specific idea of ethics applied to politics, at least yes. as I define it in self ownership. And 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 I think most libertarians who give it thought and and really and hey I'm I'm all for two two definitions of libertarianism. Four, I'm not a crook. Now, but I have two definitions. One that is, you know, anybody who calls himself a libertarian, you know, and that's great. You know, you believe in freedom. You you, you like the word. You're libertarian leaning. Hey, it's a big ten. Come on in, right? But if you go, a libertarian is someone who believes in freedom. Well, how would you say that that, that person dare call themselves a libertarian if they haven't defined freedom? And right. if freedom is the ability to exercise your will your rights, a state in which your rights are respected, that would mean a state of, of ethics, right? Where, where, you know, ethics are, are practiced, right? But here, so here's, here's my point, to, Chase, to bring it back to, to veganism, is that uh, if, if you believe in some sort of, oh, by the way, let me, let me say what I mean by I'm, I'm a Lockean too, if this is what you mean, is that 
you can mix your well i don't know you you probably you probably mean a lot more when you say i'm a lockian than i do i say i'm a lockian in terms of property rights and homesteading and the idea of mixing your labor with the soil as a foundation of ownership um but then I, when i've asked other libertarians like what what qualifies you for why does why do i have to apply ethics to you and not a rock right but what's your answer to that well the locking answer would be the soul right what is the soul <laughs> i don't i'm not even going to begin to claim that i have the answer well so here's here's the important thing is that you would say well the soul you ever owned a dog yeah i got a dog right now bonzo yeah. you ever you ever look in your dog's eyes and, and see a soul I get that feeling. Yeah. You can, I mean, you connect with that dog on a, not like, I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean, if, if there is such a thing on a soul to soul level, right. Sure. How could you say that ethics apply to you and not to your dog, that, that your right of self ownership exists. And well, I don't eat, I don't dog. eat dogs, man. I've never right. looked into a cow's eyes and thought that cow has a soul. <laughs> Well, that well, have you have you ever looked into a Russian's eyes or a Ukrainian's eyes? No, I, I mean obviously, there's a distinction that most of us make blindly and unthinkingly in our ethics, and and, sure. and most. I mean, like as a vegan, I, I believe in uh, a continuity or a continuum of consciousness and and conscientiousness and conscious consumerism. And veganism is just one arbitrary line that I've drawn in a certain way for myself for, for you know, a variety of reasons. But the main one is that I, 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 I've never been satisfied with any of the distinctions between humans and other animals when it comes to ethics. Hmm. You know, uh, I, I certainly believe that as higher life forms, we have greater responsibilities. We can take custodial control of animals even. Uh, just as you could with a human being or a you know who's who's incapacitated or a child, right? We we claim guardianship, and I think in, in many ways that's appropriate for humans relating to non-human animals. But to deny that every conscious thing has a, a, an individual will that would be described as a soul by those who believe that as a religious concept, or would be described at least as an independent will and a capacity for suffering by any any neurologist or or you know biologist who would look at an animal and say well yeah it's clearly I, I can see suffering in that creature as much as i can see in another human being you know i can see consciousness i can see a soul i can see all of the hallmarks of consciousness that that i think make me qualified for ethics you know so i'm a vegan for ethical reasons and that i believe we should as best we practically can extend the non-aggression principle to every living thing that can experience suffering and has an individual will. Um, so, I'm, I'm not let me ask you this real quick. W would you eat a steak if it was um, synthetically grown? <laughs> yeah, or roadkill, same thing. Yes and no. Um, that, that, that's a great question. Right, tear no, up I, your stomach. <laughs> it's roadkill, you know? No, I'm not. I, so this gets to the health reasons. Um, and I, I've... I've been uh, a fitness enthusiast my entire life. You know, I, I played rugby in college and, and for the Marine Corps team one year. Uh, before that, I was, you know, three-season athlete because my parents, you know, really encouraged it. Baseball, soccer, um, track and field usually. Um, basketball, baseball, soccer, track and field, sometimes a uh, little football. Anyway, it doesn't matter. 
uh, rugby with those my big sport. And uh, I, I did steer. What's that? It's pretty aggressive. Uh, uh, it's voluntary combat. Yeah, uh, consensual combat. Combat, combat by consent, certainly. Yeah. Uh, yep. Texas Penal Code twenty two zero one. Just because I'm a rugby player doesn't mean I go around like tackling people on the street as much I'm as I'm fucking fuck. with you, dude. I'm just fucking with you. I know. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> uh, but no, there's there's um. Don't get me started though that on on rugby versus football because as much as like rugby is a glorious expression of freedom and 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 individual autonomy on and cooperation on a field, uh, football is the American perversion of that into a statist command and control version. Um, but in in playing rugby uh, before that, when I was in the Marine Corps, I did two cycle. Well, I did a cycle of steroids in the Marines and out of the Marines. And so I, I, and you know, I got up, I, I'm uh, 5'10", 5'11", on a good day. And right now I'm about 205 pounds and 8% body fat. And wow. steroids, I was, great shape. I was 228, um, but I was, I was higher body fat percentage and I had a lot more water weight I was carrying with that. And, uh, I've basically been bulking for 22 years and sort of decided to cut recently as a vegan. And I thought like I would be very fortunate if I dialed my diet and my routine in to lose fat and just maintain my muscle mass. I actually gained muscle mass during this time. And at some points, not even lifting, just doing manual labor out here around the homestead, you know, playing with my chainsaw on rocks and things like that. Um, uh, so not only is it sort of a, a superior choice for longevity by every scientific analysis that I've seen, that if you want to live longer, you know, eat less and eat less animal products. And certainly you can make the case for, for the health of animal products in different ways. Um, and I'm not going to try to debate the, uh, you know, the biology of it, because I, I do believe that eating meat was essential to human evolution. A lot of vegans you know, try to deny that, like, it's, well, it's, it's not natural, like, yeah, it's really fucking natural to eat meat, that's like, but you know what, murder and rape are natural too, that doesn't mean they're good, I mean, we should do them, or encourage them, and in that sense, as a nutritional crutch that we don't need anymore, we have a better way of feeding ourselves with a vegan diet that has a variety of nutrients that ends up being more bioavailable, and this is what, for me, like, I'm finally comfortable really coming out coming out of the closet as a vegan and, and talking about it openly because I've actually been strict about it nutritionally for the last four months where I can honestly, like, I'm not, I'm not anal about it. Like, Oh my God, is there, is there a trace of eggs in this, you know, or in, in salad dressing or, or something like that. Sure. Honestly saying the last four months, less than half a percent of my calories have come from animal products. And I am in the best looking shape of my life and I'm the healthiest I've ever felt. And I, I, it's like, you, you mentioned this to people and uh, you know, sometimes I wonder if statists have a more visceral, emotional reaction to libertarianism than meat eaters do to veganism. But man, are people triggered by this? And I'm just like, Hey, I, look at me. I'm, I'm, I love, I, really, I want, I want people to have this. You know, and 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 people respond out of uh, you know fear to change 
to, to something that challenges, you know, who sure. they are. Well, nobody, nobody wants to have to let go of something they love. So like, they don't even want to entertain the conversation of being convinced that, you know, eating meat's a problem because they love it so much. I'm that way. I'll entertain the conversation because I'm not ignorant, but I can understand the emotional response um, against having the conversation at all. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to give up something. New. It's like intervention, right? You try to tell somebody they got a heroin problem. They're like, fuck you. I got it under control. <laughs> you know, it's the same kind of thing. For me here, Chase. Yeah, that, that is, that's exactly how it is. You know, and, and I, and I, and I think of it, you know, I mean, the real reason I started talking about veganism is that I've been so shadow banned. I'm in kind of like an echo chamber on the internet. So me too. talking about libertarianism doesn't piss anybody off, but talking about veganism really got everybody <laughs> riled up. So, uh, that's why Joe, that's why Joe Rogan didn't transfer your podcast over to Spotify. <laughs> all right. Well, see, this is, I think there's the, the main reason people like me get censored, you know, and, and there are a lot, I'm not the only one, but there, there's plenty of controlled opposition in the way that the conversation is managed on the internet. And I, I think what sets, sets people like me apart who get censored is, is that we say, live it. If you say, vote it, or think it, it's a threat. It's like uh, one of Richard Nixon's advisors told him while they were watching anti-war protests go by the White House. Well, they can protest all they want as long as they keep paying their taxes. Yeah. You can think free all you want. You can talk free all you want as long as you don't act free. And that's right. that's my message. And it always has been. Even when that's I was civil, That's why civil disobedience is the only thing that works. Yeah. Well... In, 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 Historically, in that sense, you know, I've I've made a name for myself in civil disobedience, smoking pot in front of the White House, the shotgun incident, dancing in front of the Jefferson Memorial. Most recently, though, it was for carrying mushrooms in Colorado and getting pulled over for driving without without plates. Uh, I heard you won your case, by the way. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. No, I mean, I've, I basically legalized mushrooms for myself anywhere in the United States, because anytime the government comes after you with with a threat of we're going to arrest you, what they're saying is you are going to plead to this and you are going to accept responsibility and accept this punishment. And you are going to go before a judge and you are going to be contrite and apologize. And you, you are going to grovel before the authority of the state and you will kiss the ring. And if you don't. We will assemble a jury of your peers and get their permission to fuck you even harder. That's right. Sorry, like that's the reality. Anytime government charges you in the United States with a criminal charge, that's what they're saying. And the thing about mushrooms is that they're so beautiful and powerful and, and unfairly demonized in the war on drugs, just like cannabis, that they have reached least one in 12 of my peers in America, it's when they, when the government comes at you with that threat, you can say, no, no, you can't fucking bring it. And when I got arrested in Colorado, my civil disobedience wasn't carrying mushrooms because that was just me living. Uh, but I, I want to think that that's the more important civil disobedience. You know, the more right. important civil disobedience like is, is, is in life like a Howard Rourkean, like I'm just going to do me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Atlas Shrugged reference, right? Um, Bowden had that time, but practically the same. Same book. Okay. Um, the libertarians are going to burn you. <laughs> I'm confusing my Ayn Rand references. What kind of libertarian? <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an anti-fan because I love what Rand did for the progress of human thought in creating objectivism, but she got sure. a lot of wrong. She, I, I so I'm so. an open objectivist rather than a closed objectivist who is just someone who supposedly thinks that Ayn Rand got everything right in her specifics, in her application, right. her methodology of objectivism, which is excellent. Uh, but anyway, what were we talking about? Yeah. Um, the we're talking about you getting pulled over for living your life the way you want to live it. Now, you said that was the real civil disobedience was just to live the way you want to live. Yeah. Well, I, I should explain to people that there was an act of civil disobedience once I got arrested of absolute noncompliance. I demanded all my rights. I demanded vegan food when I was in jail, um, but I didn't cooperate with anything. They said, you know, do you want a fingerprint? Do you want to get your photo taken? Do you want to book in? Do you want to put on oranges? No, thanks. <laughs> no, but I'm going to demand my rights. You're going to kidnap me. You're going to pull me in here unjustly. Well, I'm going to hold you accountable. And because at least I have the, you know, luxury of an internet presence, I'm going to shine a spotlight on your bullshit until you realize that you're in the wrong and you let me go. And it took them 12 days, but they dropped the charges and they actually paid for my towing and inbound for my truck. And I got it back for free. So I'm, and I'm on, I'm in the process of getting my mushrooms back and suing everybody involved. So anyway, I, I, I digress. It's not technically civil disobedience if you're not breaking a law, but it's might, it, it, it might be more meaningful non-compliance and a statement and, and doing something as activism productively to fight the evil of the system to simply not contribute to it. So rather than confrontational civil disobedience, you know, is it civil disobedience to collect your own rainwater? Well, in some places in America, it fucking is. Government in certain municipalities, and it's only a handful, have said, yeah, we own the rainwater and collecting rainwater is illegal here. And, you know, it, it, I live off grid. So like I've already, I live in an unincorporated part of Yavapai County in the mountains of Arizona. So like I've already sidestepped most of that. But then I had to assert it because when I came out here, they threatened me literally with hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines for building without a permit, basically. Every little, every little thing we were doing here, including camping on your own land for more than 10 days at a time or 30 consecutive days was a violation of county zoning. And I was like, I'm not going to play that game. And I got them to back off. Um, and because other people saw my example, there was another round of confrontation with the Avapai County zoning. And it got to the point where county supervisor had to hold a town hall in Paulden where head of county zoning said, well, we're just we're going to a, a complaint only enforcement policy from now on. And it's like, I know my neighbors. Did he complain? Did she complain? Did they complain? No, then you're going to fuck off. And so they've left me alone since then. And, and I think that that, you know, peaceful assertion of rights might, in its cumulative effects of, of, of people saying, you know what, I'm just not going to work for the man anymore. I'm not hey, going to play the game. It, it worked at Waco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's funny you mentioned that because what we're doing here is in a way uh, a more of a direct challenge to government with the creation of a microstate 
uh, not a micro nation, which some people, you know, we, some people use those terms interchangeably. Um, and I have in the past, but recently realized that micro nation is, is more uh, reference in, in those that aren't really serious about asserting their sovereignty. But as a micro state here on 10 acres, we are going to be declaring our independence and formally asserting our sovereignty by the same grounds that the American government says, well, we're independent of Great Britain and King George III, and therefore we're in a sovereign country. Well, how did that happen? Declaration. And they had to fight a war to assert that sovereignty. It's like that episode of Family Guy, where Peter declares his own house, his own nation. Here's the thing. If, If we do that, well, to be fair, the Griffins were in Quahog municipal systems. Can't touch me. <laughs> I'm out here. I'm already, I'm completely off grid independent. But um, no, Pretoria was, was, uh, was an act of protest. This is not an act of protest. This is an act of assertion of rights right. of sovereignty to say, well, you know, if they want to fight a war, that's cool. In fact, I was actually thinking the day after we declare sovereignty, We'll probably declare war on the United States so that the next day we can surrender and get a billion dollars in foreign aid. I think that's how <laughs> Billion dollars isn't as much as it used to be, man. <laughs> we'll reach out to the Biden administration and, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll offer Hunter Biden a, a, a position on, you know, board of one of our gas companies or something. Yeah. We don't have- yeah. That's, yeah. He, yeah. He's just responsible for the energy on the, on the uh, property. <laughs> He's got experience. He's been down that road. So, so how much land are you on, and how many are? are is there like a, a collective of people living together? Is it just your family? What are you doing? It's just eleven acres. Me and my girlfriend and our dogs right now. That's cool. And we're in a wonderful area in northern Arizona that I encourage everybody to check. People say, "Oh, you're starting a community." It's like, no, I joined a community. Like it's a community of homesteaders out here, where there was a a cattle ranch uh, of one hundred twenty thousand acres called uh, Juniper Wood Ranch, uh, created, I don't know how many years ago, but over the last few decades has been uh, parceled out in 10 and 40 acre and and other random and bigger, smaller size, mostly 10, 40 acre plots uh, for for homesteaders and individual investment. And uh, I bought 11 acres for $13,000 six years ago here. Uh, just the raw land at this point is worth about twice that. That's how much it's a pre, I mean, how much the dollars lost value over the last six years. Uh, But also, you know, it's, it's one of the best parts of the country for, um, uh, I I don't want to misattribute, but one of the most uh, well-known survivalists has said that, that for places to to have a homestead to get away in the the case of, uh, or in the situation of any kind of social collapse, that this is one of the best areas of the country and for a lot of reasons. I mean, I, I toured the country uh, for my book, Freedom, a few times before choosing where to settle down. And I do not regret it at all. I love this part of the country. We are, uh, people people here in Arizona and they think Phoenix, which is a miserable fucking pollution bowl of a desert where humans should never live and is only there because of government. Uh, but. Arizona has some amazing mountains and they're at a thousand feet in Phoenix. We are at 5,000 feet. Uh, Flagstaff, uh, the highest area in Arizona is at 7,000 feet and they have skiing. We get, we got snow yesterday here. Actually, 
yesterday before. It was a dusting, didn't stick at all. We had a few, we had a few storms that you know give us a few inches that stick every year. Um, we are consistently twenty degrees cooler than Phoenix, um, and uh, it's it's a little on the dry side. But when people call it a desert, I take it personally because desert is ten inches of rain per less or less per year. We get twelve and a half inches here in in in, in Ash Fork, which is the nearest town. Uh, and, and we have trees. We have the most beautiful uh, junipers, Rocky Mountain and Utah junipers. And uh, we post pictures of this. If, if people aren't on Telegram, get on Telegram. Um, fuck all that mainstream centralized corporate media, corporate social media bullshit. Telegram's where it's at. It's a messaging app where you can have channels that serve like social media streams. T.me slash Adam versus the man. Just find Adam versus the man on Telegram, please. But if you want the Garden of Freedom, we also have a channel for, for the homestead. Um, we're me and my girlfriend, Joey, G.I. Mary Jane. We mostly post pictures of our dogs and, and cats. <laughs> uh, there's there's uh, stuff we're doing around the homestead and stuff we're building with earth ships and uh, prefab sheds for cabins, uh, which is I'm, what I'm sitting in right now. I'm, I'm in front of my wood-burning stove me warm right now in, uh, in our, our half finished 16 by 40 cabin that's awesome man i'm happy for you you mentioned social collapse is that something you think we're going to see within our lifetime you know I, let's spend the rest of the podcast on that question um, we don't have to it's up to you man i just want to hang out whatever whatever comes up i've been asking myself a lot lately um, and, and some people would say like, you know, we're, we're part way into it already, you know, and it might have, it might turn out that, you know, th this is the worst of it, you know, uh, a teaser of a world war, um, and, and a, a, a global pandemic. And then people kind of wake up and want to move past the systems that led us to these calamities. And I, and, and by the way, about COVID, COVID's real. But it's nowhere near as bad as they say it was or is. And it no way in any way whatsoever justifies government coercive intervention or violation of basic ethical principles in terms of right to freedom of travel and association and, and private property. So that being said, obviously, it was government policy that made it a lot worse. And, and, and that's what sure. I'm talking about with, with COVID. Oh, oh, am I going to get you banned on YouTube now for saying that? Um, I don't care. Yeah, right. Because uh, that's I, I'm I'm banned on YouTube, and I just I didn't I don't want to play that game anymore. I'm happy to do. By the way, my videos. I'll, I'll uh, shout out to Odyssey, O D Y S E E, Odyssey.com, library, blockchain, good stuff. If you have a YouTube channel, they can just port over your entire catalog of videos. It's very very cool, very well put together. Um, but I, I want to say that over this course of of COVID, I just turned forty years old. <laughs> Congratulations, February first, right? Yeah, I made it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. A lot. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people lost money on me turning forty years old. Um, but the point is, I, especially around COVID, I got really sick of saying "I told you so." Yeah. You know, there's so much bullshit happening that any thoughtful person who was skeptical of authority had the, like the code to the matrix and we could just see through everything. And they're like, Delta, Omicron, the vaccines. And we're just like redhead, blonde, brunette, you know, like, like the guy in the matrix is like, no, yeah. it's 
it's it's population control it's big pharma it's censorship it's yeah uh, it's corporatism it's it's consolidation of wealth and power etc cetera, etc cetera. you could just see it happening the one big thing i was wrong about with covid was how long it was going to last as bad as it was i thought it was going to yeah. be more like six months to a year what we've seen now over the last couple of months be like the end of the main phase or the initial phase of COVID looking like it's been about two years, uh, at least in the American experience of it, if not the global one. And so I've, I've come to learn to trust my instincts a lot more. And, you know, I've, I've seen people, um, I know people who died from vaccine complications. And is it something they'd say 100%? You know, no, but like, yeah, and you look at it, Unless there was like a very, you know, targeted autopsy, you never know for certain, but, you know, enough that you can say 90 plus percent, like, yeah, that's a weird coincidence cluster of symptoms with that kind of timing. And it could be that like what, what, what saved us, you know, from the calamity of, of pandemic policy was just being skeptical uh, about vaccines and being confident in our independent thought enough to deny the social pressure, defy it, and and say, I'm not gonna be vaccinated, and that was it. And it might be that everybody else, you know, if you got vaccinated, I don't know, maybe it's not a big deal. You know, maybe it's just, maybe it's just worse. I mean, I, again, I, I gotta keep saying I told you so, because now Pfizer's coming out with this, like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of side effects that they, that they were trying to hide about the vaccines. But even if it's not that bad, even if it's a 1% thing, then maybe what, you know, saved me from the social upheaval, what was the, the way you asked the question was, do I believe that social collapse is happening, right? Well, we went through, some people would say that 2020 was social collapse because we had the forced right. lockdowns and shutdowns. We had a massive unemployment crisis. We had a massive rent crisis. Real estate crisis led to a consolidation of, of real estate property. Now BlackRock and Vanguard Holdings basically own this country by the balls. You know, was that, does that, maybe that was it. And maybe what, you know, why, why did I come out of it better than most? Because I live on 10 acres in the mountains and I never had to deal with that bullshit. And I live in a relatively rural community where even where I go shop, I was never forced to wear a mask. You know, I, I, I don't have a job where I work for the man, where I, I face that pressure, where I, I, I'm not, I've already escaped dependency on the system in such a way that the, pre Oh, you got, you got to get a vaccine. If you want to keep your job, I just, it, 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 it just, just not part of my life, you know? Yeah. But you shouldn't have to live in the mountains to have freedom. You should be able to live in the city and be free if you want, right? Uh, as long now, I'm not anti-city fundamentally. I'm I'm pro smaller, decentralized, voluntary, non-statist city systems in in my ideal world. But that's just my preference. You know, I'm not I'm not going to be a central planner. Um, sure. No, if. if Governments have taken over the phenomena of cities. You cannot live in a modern city in, in, in anywhere in the world, as far as I know. Um, and and don't I mean, you want to see hairspray sometimes? <laughs> you can, in some ways, like escape by lifestyle, but then you're just surrounded by it. So why why would you want that? You know, 
And then we say, like, is there? So if, if you if if you say that that period in 2020, right, of the uh, forced shutdowns in most of the United States was was a period of social collapse. I mean, I I think more upheaval. Um, but yeah, is it is it a mild form of collapse, like society temporarily collapsed and then came back? But it is much more vulnerable and fragile now to such upheaval because of the consolidation of wealth and power, because of the template of new medical tyranny that the government could roll out any time for any new virus or threat real or imagined that they could come up with or release from a lab. And I don't care if COVID came from a lab or not. I mean, I care, but like, do I care to decide? Does it, does it matter? You know, I, I'd like to think of myself as a big picture guy, you know, kind of a Renaissance man. I don't want to waste time. Like, is, I, I looked at that, you know, and I said, I will probably never know for certain. Do I need to care? No, because I already knew governments run bio labs and it's a possibility that could come up at any time. And you look at all the horrors committed by government in the past. It's definitely within the realm of possibility today. And could it happen in the future? Absolutely. So we have to acknowledge that possibility, but, um, I'm just, you know, all the more affirmed in my lifestyle decision. Um, and, 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 and it's kind of like veganism, you know, it, it's for health and ethics. And those are both in and of themselves sufficiently compelling reasons to live that way. For me, living off grid, being self-sufficient, not relying on a paycheck from the man, not having to work a nine to five, working for myself as an entrepreneur, being free and happy out here. Um, I mean, there, there are sort of two reasons. One is, is in the event of greater social upheaval, I'm more likely to survive and thrive, not be threatened or challenged or un made unhappy in any way, way by it. But also as a matter of principle, because I believe in this as a matter of uh, civil disobedience lifestyle. That when they want you, is, is it technically civil disobedience? Uh, whatever, it's a matter of definition because it's it's not illegal. Although in some ways, you know, like when they come after me with all the threats of fees and fines and everything else, yeah, it is. But it's it's more important to, you know, live a principled life, know what your principles are, and to maintain intellectual, psychological, emotional sovereignty of the mind and have that freedom first and foremost and some people say that you know like thomas jefferson declaration you know life liberty pursuit of happiness that that's a kind of a sequence but it was originally life liberty pursuit of property right and that actually makes more sense as a progression because happiness is actually somewhere in between life and liberty in that sequence Happiness is a choice. It's a product of sovereignty of the mind that you can choose to embrace at any time. That gap between stimulus and response is where choice lies and the sovereignty. And you always have the choice. As long as at least you are you know, healthy and, and your brain is otherwise satisfied with its supply of oxygen and nutrients and whatnot, your attitude, your outlook, your frame of mind that's all your choice. And I think about the John Lennon quote as, as relates to this. 
you know, issue of civil disobedience lifestyle is that, and I'm going to butcher the exact words, but I have this on my desktop. I should have it memorized by now. I made my own laptop desktop background with an image that I found of John Lennon and I stylized it. I made it purple and orange and I put the quote next to it. You know, I published it as a meme, but it's like, I've made this for my computer desktop background. And it's uh, the establishment will do everything they can to irritate you. They will pull your beard and flick your face, anything to make you violent. Because once they've got you violent, then they know how to control you. The only thing they don't know how to respond to is nonviolence and humor. And if you can maintain that frame of mind, if you can maintain that attitude towards your fellow human beings, even those that may be in conventional terms your enemy, to love your enemies, as Jesus taught, is such a powerful concept but to forgive them, to recognize the divinity in them and that they they are doing what they are doing for the same reasons that that, that any human does anything to, to, to survive and thrive and pursue a true happiness. So how do you how do you love and forgive the state? Oh, I don't really need to. The state's just an idea. How do you love how do I live in love and forgive statists? I mean Maybe this is where I need to get a little personal because for me, a big motivator in my activism in my early days was penance. Because not only did I enthusiastically join the Marine Corps at age 17, but I volunteered to go to Iraq, volunteered to go to the Civil Affairs Unit, and uh, during the siege of Fallujah in, in 2004, uh, I was ordered to guard detainees in a way that was torture, uh, sleep deprivation, and stress positions to soften them up for interrogation. And that was really the first impetus for my activism coming home and going, holy shit, people are still suffering, people are still dying in a way that if the American people knew what I know wouldn't be happening. And that's pretty intense. That's, that's pretty motivating. But at the same time, being motivated by that possibility of, of being a hero, you know, or improving the human condition, I was also motivated by, you know, a sense of guilt, having to make up what I, for what I had done, mm-hmm. uh, and and not just that that one night, but you know, all the evil of of militarism and the global war on terror that I contributed to, and at some level, I guess I've just kind of moved past that, and I think that's how we should relate to each other. I think there's a a quote from, I think it's the Iranian poet Rumi, you know, said something like, uh, somewhere beyond hate and fear and judgment, beyond all the restrictions of our, our physical existence, there is a field and I will meet you there. And I'm sorry I'm crying but okay. I, while butchering this 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 quote, but that there is something about 
the divinity of of, of the human soul of, of of to get back to that idea uh, to me I, I don't talk about the human soul i mean to me it's just uh, the, the 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 divinity of human consciousness the gift that we enjoy as the phenomena as individual human beings of consciousness that we are the universe becoming aware of itself holy shit and i know that whatever that is in me that that i value in my life is true of everyone and so that that's i mean how how, how do you forgive how how do you you know see the good in others who are doing evil and 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 actively hurting people and and defending my political sensibilities and my ethical sensibilities it's just transcending it, to not need it to not to not see humanity in in terms of good and evil but to just appreciate those fundamental truths of the human experience interesting interesting i got sawdust in my eyes yeah it happens when you're you know living like a man in the wilderness <laughs> That was beautiful, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that. No, I really do have sawdust in my eyes. It's like a piece of wood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. It reminds me some, some of the, what you're saying reminds me of a story from the, uh, I, I'm ashamed that I don't remember the gentleman's name, but the story, the movie the Born on the Fourth of July is based off of there's a similar theme there and on Kovac on veterans against the war. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, um, I Played knew a Vietnam, I knew a Vietnam veteran that was a green beret. And, um, it's interesting. A lot of these guys that were in these almost impossible situations and, and committed violence. It's, it's so fascinating to me how, when they so many of them later in their lives reach like a total enlightenment a, a, like a spiritual enlightenment as to you know because in movies and in, in our stories in our culture we think of like evil as like inherent and always evil and good is inherent and always good and we have superheroes that are just always good and we have villains that are just always villains but the real part of the human condition the the, the real truth to the human condition is that if you're a person of conscience and you you commit evil there is there is such great likelihood and hope that you will at some point become aware of it and repent of it um and it's almost like had you never had the experience had you had you never seen the abyss you could never become as good as you do in response to that experience you you know you might have been a middling average person that's kind of good kind of fucking up 
had you never had the abyss, but because of the abyss, then there's like this greatness that compensates. There's a, an important distinction for me in rejecting militarism and recognizing the difference between soldiers and warriors. Because a warrior is someone who's willing to put their life on the line to defend people who can't defend themselves, to stand up for justice, and to do the right thing no matter what the cost, right? It's very noble. A soldier, by complete contrast, kills for politicians or helps kill for politicians for money or personal glory or bullshit benefits or misguided ideals false ideals right and there are a lot of us who go into that military experience because we have been fooled into thinking that soldiers are warriors and we are motivated by that. There are people who join the military superficial reasons, lack of options, whatever. <clears throat> but uh, I, I want to shout out also, since you mentioned Vietnam uh, and Vietnam veterans against the war, Scott Camille, who really is my hero from that generation. If anybody wants to see a great mini documentary, um, Seasoned Veteran, the Scott Camille story, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, it's 40 minutes. I've watched it like a dozen times. Um, there's something about those of us who like really bought into it because we were intrinsically motivated to put our lives on the line for something greater. And it, it's not just being sort of forged by the experience. And I, I, I'm inclined instinctively to reject that notion because it suggests something almost mystical about it. And I want to demystify that for people like I do with civil disobedience. I'm not brave. So I just have a better understanding of the system and more confidence in my calculations. And I happen to be, you know, a, a, a healthy fit white male that makes it, you know, real white looking. I'm half Jewish and half German. So I'm, you know, genetically programmed to hate myself, but you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm it's going to jail is relatively easy for me. You know, I don't have a job. I don't have kids. You know, I, I don't have, I mean, my, my people who are dependent on me, but not like, in that kind of immediate sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not so much forged by the experience as those of us who join the military for those deeply righteous, intrinsic reasons go through the experience not of the abyss, but of seeing the evil of militarism for what it is, seeing the evil of war. And we stay warriors. We become the warriors that we meant to be and hope to become when we joined the military. And it was simply the disillusionment of going off. Oh, fuck. I'm just, a, I'm just a soldier. I'm just another sucker for militarism. I'm just another bit of cannon fodder, another pawn. I'm not any, I, I don't have the autonomy. I mean, you'd be a warrior. You have to have autonomy. You'd be able to make moral choices for yourself. 
military does everything they can to take that away from you. And yeah, I was supposed to disobey unlawful orders. But I was in such a frame of mind in a combat zone that it didn't even occur to me. It's interesting that talking about autonomy in the context of society, for lack of a better term, because I'm a big fan of um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the concept of self-actualization. And I'm sure that someone else has written this before, but I'm not very well read, uh, as well read as I'd like to be. Um, Who is? But what's that? Who is? I'm not as, yeah, right, right. But the point I'm trying to make is it occurs to me that it's impossible to reach a state of self-actualization, which is something that I consider to be my purpose, if you don't have absolute autonomy. You can't manifest your potential without freedom. It's impossible. I would go a step further even. Because you, Im I imagine if, if you don't have that, if you're giving that up, if you if you have if you have then you have to give it up essentially you know and, and we have been convinced fooled into giving it up largely as, as americans as, as humans in modern society uh in the past we were more forced circumstantially and by literal direct violence but now it's mostly by persuasion that we are convinced to give up at least a piece of our material sovereignty, if not the most important chunk of our intellectual, psychological, and emotional sovereignty. So of course you can't be in you can't be self-actualized if someone else is in your head, if, if someone else is running part of your life, if some of your will has been ceded to someone else. But here's where I would go a step further. You can't be fully self-actualized if you're doing that too someone else either right right that's fascinating i never thought about it like that because i'm so fucking selfish <laughs> <laughs> so this you to sympathy and empathy right attitude of buddhist loving kindness towards all the statists and militarists and politicians and lobbyists and evildoers in the world. Yeah, but then look at what happened to Tibet. <laughs> well, Tibet's complicated because people disagree about what happened. But I mean, if you're if you just if you sit peacefully in love, you can wind up in a very compromised position. I didn't, I'm not endorsing all Tibetan policy. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not a pacifist, uh, but I'm not like, you know, a lot of uh, simplistic libertarians applying the right to self-defense. I'm a de-escalationist. You know, if the purpose of ethics is to improve human life, to alleviate suffering and property rights are a framework for ethics along with self-ownership, you know, the, then part of the point is, is, creating or preserving value, you know? If someone's stealing a meal from you, fucking let them, <laughs> you know? Like, do you really, really if, or talk to them, try to give them more, you know? And I, I believe in, in the, the power of generosity and, and letting go of property when possible to, to see the greater value in, in harmony and human relations. And if you wanna uh, 
put that in terms of future value or reputation capital, you know, yeah, you can quantify it too. That's kind of one of the, the beauties of the Austrian economic analysis is that it allows you to, to quantify so many things that are written out of modern conventional economics that sees everything measured in dollars and widgets. But that, that, that greater sense of value of, of valuing humanity, you know, and de-escalating instead of escalating, I think is extremely important. Hmm. That's interesting. So now that I've told you what I think the purpose of, of life is self-actualization, what do you, what do you think the purpose, the, the, the what do you think our, our, our role is, is, is what's, what's our Dharma as individuals? What's our, our duty? Um, I don't know what, what's the meaning of life, Adam? <laughs> Realize that there isn't. Realize there isn't one. It's a little nihilistic. No, it's the no, opposite. I'm missing. Because the search for meaning is driven by an indulgence in a very negative, inherent emotion of humanity of dissatisfaction. Mm. One thing is animals to say, well, I'm hungry. I must eat. I am dissatisfied. I need to do that to sustain my life. But to search for meaning is to suggest that you lack meaning now in the moment. I refuse to believe that. The meaning you could think... be found in the future and doesn't exist now. And don't don't you think that dissatisfaction catalyzes so so many great accomplishments? Though I mean, do you think Elon Musk will be sending rockets into space and landing them again if he wasn't dissatisfied? You're kind of changing the subject here and moving the goalposts. I don't, I don't. I don't mean to. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I. Because um, this is important, and it's a subject I, I don't get to talk about very often, and it, it really fascinates me. So I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity here. Um, me too, man. So this this idea of searching for meaning is 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 like a failure to accept whatever the status of meaning is right now. I, I might take a more positive approach and say life has whatever meaning you want it to have, whatever meaning you give it. But I would rather suggest something deeper that transcends the need or the want or this, the search for meaning because When I do mushrooms, there is an inherent, overwhelming sensation that can be gotten through meditation, which I do. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a daily meditator. I, I generally meditate twice a day, usually five to 15 minutes. I put on, on my phone just so that I have a sense of how long I sat there when I'm done. I let my thoughts wander. I have two objectives in my meditative practice every time is one, find stillness and allow my brain to sort itself out and find peace and address whatever floats to the surface, so to speak, and to tune in to God. There's the love vibration of the universe, the fabric of existence itself. And there was a study done with, with mushrooms where they took a Buddhist monk who'd been meditating for decades who'd never done mushrooms, and they gave him mushrooms, and they hooked him up to a bunch of equipment and measured his brain waves. And he described the experience 
as what he had been seeking for decades in meditation, available through this substance, psilocybin. I think it's true about LSD, DMT, ayahuasca, number of other things, altered brain states. But in a way, those all represent a higher state of mind. Not just literally high. You know, yeah, high. Sure. Uh, in the sense that you are tuned in to God. You're tuned in. And I, by the way, I, I, I went from being agnostic to atheist to pantheist, as I describe myself now, that everything, I, I, so I, I believe in all the atheist arguments about the personified God and contradictions. When I say God, I mean that inherent love vibration, the pervasive oneness of the universe. I'm going to say that, that Adam, you don't believe in God by my definition. Okay, fine. I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> but there's something that I get that I think everybody should have. And psychedelics are just one gateway to meditation probably more meaningful in a sense psychedelics is a chemically induced meditative state the experience of that can be but as i describe it it's the overwhelming sensation that everything is right in the universe everything's okay And you don't need or want anything as long as you can keep that in mind. You are not driven by needs or wants or desires or a, a feel by a lack, a feel of, of a lack of meaning. You have to go on some warrior's quest and complete this grandiose life cycle in order to be happy. No. It's available to all of us at any moment. In fact, it is only in our conscious indulgence of wants and needs and seeing the lack in life that actually leads us to a state of consciousness that is detuned from that higher state of consciousness that we're all capable of that really is closer to our true nature. How much do you take when you, when you trip? Enough. I've done psilocybin, I think on two occasions in my life. Uh, just a couple of grams and I had good experiences, but I never had like the hero dose kind of deep total loss of ego that I hear people describe. Uh, I never got there, but I've had some interesting experiences. A lot of jesters making faces at me. <laughs> and all this from asking about the meaning of life. I've never been asked that question. I'm honored. I hope that that was a satisfying answer. I think it was fascinating. If there was a satisfying answer that existed, people would stop asking the question. But we keep in, we inch closer and closer to it, I think, I hope, as a species. No, 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 no. We're already there. You've Always already arrived. <laughs> Yeah, I was in a room full of friends. And as I was coming out of it, one of them said, what did you see, man? <laughs> I said, God. It said, stop asking so many fucking questions. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so my my first experience on psilocybin, I was um, staring at a wall, and there was this like ink being drawn on the wall, making this symbol. Never seen it before in my life. Thought, oh, that's cool. I'm just tripping. Next day, you know, sober up. And I start Googling, you know, describing the symbol into Google just to, just to see. And it's the fucking Zoroastrian symbol for spirit guide. <laughs> it's like the man sitting sideways on the bird with the two wings, you know, straight out. I don't think I, I don't recognize it. Yeah, you might if you see it. It's, I mean, it's old. Zoroastrian is like the original religion of Iran. Um, but yeah, I'd never seen it before. And um, that's what it was. Maybe I had seen it before and I just forgotten, you know, the psilocybin dug it out, but it was a trip. Well, you want to say how much? Um, honestly, I must profess my relative ignorance and inexperience. I think about heroes like Dennis Leary and Ram Dass, you know, heroes of, of the humanity's great dance forward and awareness uh, that, what they did with, with psilocybin and LSD makes everything I've done look like I'm just barely dipping my toes into the water. You know, and I've done LSD maybe 50 times. Um, I've done psilocybin, uh, you know, 100, 150 times. Done 150 to 200 launches with DMT. I've uh, done MDMA, I don't know, a couple dozen times. Um, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a bad trip? About a dozen times. There are no bad trips. There are, I mean, except in the external sense of like, if someone walks up to you and shoots you while you're tripping, okay, that's a bad trip. Um, sure. But no, I, what, what, what is mistakenly thought of as a bad trip is a, uh, an experience of kind of emotional stress, right? in an otherwise, you know, safe, healthy environment, um, or even in a stressful environment where the environment challenges you and leads to, to, to a state of distress. Uh, it's just, it, the, the negativity could be described really as growing pains, you know, and I, I'm, I'm being, I'm not being very precise here, but in the sense that, mean? um, it's, it's a, it's like, okay, your brain, given the opportunity with this substance in it, decided to make you feel this and go through this because you're going to grow and you're going to learn some shit right now. You know, and, and I think if people have that attitude, maintain that attitude and those challenging experiences, again, with or without psychedelics, uh, you're much more likely to get more value out of them and experience less distress. You know, and it's, again, that, that detachment. Uh, and, and the sort of, you know, the ego death that, that you experience with psychedelics and meditation. And I'm also a big fan of yoga uh, and, and, and working out and, and, you know, other sort of grounding meditative experiences. Um, where was I going with that? I asked you oh. if you ever had a bad trip and you said there is no such thing as a bad trip. It's just a learning experience. Um, when, when you go through those kinds of challenging experiences 
it's just your brain giving the opportunity to say like, okay, I'm going to make you feel this. I mean, we're going to address this now. It's your brain. Your brain is, is what is deciding to do that. And through that challenge, usually of identifying something within you, you get to with psychedelics or meditation or whatever it is, separate the ego from the experience. You know, as in like not just it ego, super ego, but the true self detached from your thoughts. You know, a lot of people who, as advocates of meditation practices and specific traditions will say, you know, just find stillness and see your thoughts. Be able to be the observer of your thoughts and not be attached to them, not be them, not even be your emotions, but be that that higher consciousness. Uh, oftentimes, a bad trip forces you in a challenging exercise to look at something challenging in your past or in your ego or in yourself that needs to be examined and step back. And then when you come out of that experience, you get to you, you get to maintain a, a better frame of happiness and enlightened detachment from that negativity. Hmm, that's interesting. I'm the first to have described this. What'd you say? I'm definitely not the first or the best to have described this phenomena as, as, a, as, a, as a way of understanding a bad trip. Um, Do you remember the first time you ever went on a trip? First time. That's a good question. Oh yeah, mushrooms when I was uh but it was it was mushrooms in high school. Yeah. Um actually and and I remember a couple really distinct uh vivid uh, visual hallucinations uh during that experience. But I one of the the things that is is so destroyed by the drug war is reliable access that allows people the safety to explore different modes of consciousness. Right. And when it's just, Oh my God, I got an eighth. You got to take this eighth, you know, or, well, I got to save you. Like it's your, your, your usage is very much polluted, distorted at least by those circumstances often dictated by the legal circumstances and thus the availability of these things. And we're coming out of that. I mean, I grow mushrooms here now, after my Colorado experience, I'm, I'm happy saying publicly that I grow and give away mushrooms to people here on my private property as part of my religious expression, my First Amendment rights. Fucking come at me, bro. I'll stand on my head for 12 days in solitary confinement again and make you look like an asshole until you realize that you're wrong. You know, uh, so we're, we're on the verge of all of this being available to a lot of people. And, and in terms of... Uh, you know, what, what do I have attachment to, you know, what is, you know, I, the, the, I if you're going to be attached to something, I say be attached to the biggest things that you can, you know, the, the, the greatest expressions of, of, of love and consciousness and, and light. And I think of the human experience as an accelerating exponential function that is just being held back by the, the institutions of today in so many poisonous ways. But you look across the, just the course of what we know of human history, go back 200,000 years, wherever you want to draw the line arbitrarily, whatever, for dawn of the species, invention of the wheel and fire, you know, until then, very linear. And even after that, very, very almost linear. But, you, you know, in hindsight, you go, no, it, it was exponential, but negligible progress, right? Then you get to agriculture, you get to tools, 
sorry, tools, then agriculture, then, oh my God, industrial revolution. And then the, and then, you know, computing age, information age. And I describe this as the asymptote of the human experience, knowing that, you know, we never really hit the asymptote, but it is this certain period that we're going through right now of acceleration, where on the other side of it, the human experience is going to be so fast as, 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 as if it might as well be vertical from the perspective of our puny consciousness's ability to comprehend. And I'm talking about not 3D printing organs and weed dropping out of the sky from, you know, quadcopters because you have an app on your phone or, you know, Musk's uh, self-driving electric everything. No, I'm talking about like uploading our brains and the consciousness uh, in, in the machines and populating the cosmos beyond our solar system. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Our destiny is, is, is as, as intelligent life is so far beyond this. And so I'm just rooting for everybody to make it, you know, and I'm rooting for us mm-hmm. to, to, you know, get through this and, and, and experience this as richly. And, and I want to hold on, man, I'm, I'm 40. I'm having a quarter life crisis. You know, <laughs> And rec, well, the doctors say the first man to live to be 120 has already been born. I'm going to live to be 160. I have no doubt. At least, at least, at least with just the benefit of, of modern nutrition and and, um, and and supplements and medicine, modern medicine and all that and our understanding of the human body, we're capable of so much more than we even realize right now and give ourselves credit for. It's like we're about to take off and and, and go to the moon and and people are, are, are fooled into thinking that it's the Titanic sinking and we got to push people out of the lifeboats. No, 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 absolutely fucking not. You know, every human life is precious and everybody has the opportunity to experience this and to see this right now and to be a part of it and plug in to the hive mind of the internet. And yeah, it's driven by technology, but it's, it's fundamental to the nature of life itself to create intelligence and intelligence to create technology and for that technology to take off and accelerate in exponential ways beyond the biological organism's ability to comprehend it. So that's, you know, it's, that, that, that's what I like to, that's the star I want to hitch, hitch a ride on. Why do you think it is that in the old Testament, people are described as living hundreds of years? Because the Bible's full of shit. <laughs> There's got to be a better answer than that, man. Even if it's just a literary explanation. I believe there have been periods in human history where we, where, where certain civilizations have experienced periods of enlightenment that have been suppressed that because we didn't have the printing press and we didn't have um, the global communications technology, the ability to back up. Uh, like Right now, you figure something out, a, a discovery is made, it's around the world in seconds. Right. Um, prior labs in Ukraine. Yeah. Right. Uh, prior to the printing press, it was, it was a whole different world of slow knowledge. And there, there may have been periods, um, you know, like a lot of people give credit to, uh, ancient Egypt as, as being such a period, right? Mm-hmm. Aliens. Okay. Um, you think so? Okay, it was aliens. Uh, I can't. I, I used to be. I used to have guys here. Bad interpretations with Adam versus the man. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not saying aliens, but aliens. No, it was. But there. So there may have been periods where humans were 
you know, living significantly longer, but, you know, giants and hundreds of years not. Don't think so. Well, it's, it's weird if you think about like um, archaeologists say that Homo sapiens go back as far as like 300,000 years. And if you think about that in terms of all the different changes that have happened on the planet over the course of 300,000 years in terms of many ice ages, one or two big ice ages, it's not unreasonable to think that society has been much more advanced than present historians give it credit. Well, I have a general faith in the nature of the progress of life and progress of humanity. So mm -hmm. I, I still have to fit it into a model of two steps forward, one step backwards, right? And that, that's obviously very simplistic, but I think that explains the nature of the progress of life and nature itself, right? And evolution and experiments. And, and how to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> fail, 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 succeed. Write that down. <laughs> fail, 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 fail. Yeah, just succeed. You get, you know, you've got to go through a hundred no's before you find the one good yes. But, but it's it. worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> but so many things in life. Uh, but no, in, in, in this case, that's, no, it's um, what we're talking, two steps forward, one step backwards. And then like right now, society is in the middle of some major steps backwards. And I would say the biggest defining one of the human experience is fiat currency uh, and and modern bureaucratic governments uh, that that are spawned by it and, and as a phenomena of just simple technology right paper money and everything that sustained it in modern communications and propaganda and economic control industrialization blah 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 but I think if there's a single defining feature of the step backward that we are currently in for humanity it would be the advent of fiat currency and that you could say goes back in the United States to the current central bank, the Federal Reserve System, to 1913. But remember, there were two right central banks in the United States before that. And that the growth of modern fiat currencies is a global phenomenon over the last several hundred years, and not just of the hundred years of the American experience. I mean, even Rome was kind of doing it in their own way; they were debasing their coins. Uh, yeah, you would say that it's absolutely a precursor. I, not what I would include in the modern age of fiat currency. Sure. Thank you for pointing out that it's sort of a natural growing phenomena that goes back to that precursor. Absolutely. It's an ounce of silver. <laughs> I know. So the yeah, don't know coin clipping is, is part of the, the Roman story and the collapse of empire. I suggest you learn that. Um, sure. But the... Uh, Militarism, the wars of the 20th, 20th century, uh, what we're experiencing now, the, the, the concentration of wealth and power, the suppression. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that uh, the suppression of, of the middle class, so to speak, ability to enjoy exponential productivity is being suppressed because what's being skimmed off the top is growing exponentially and the average human life is increasing more linearly. And we're happy with that. But we shouldn't be because our, all of our lives are threatened when that evil is allowed to be institutionalized the way that it is with modern bureaucratic governments built around fiat currencies. But if you see that, you go, holy shit. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're on the verge of a major leap forward because we're about to overthrow this whole thing. Fiat currencies right. are 
going to survive crypto, not like Bitcoin is like the just the internet itself, the hive mind, the the the, the availability, the the quality of life, the productivity available of so many human beings across the earth. And I'm I'm extremely optimistic that you know what what what's happening right now um, in Ukraine is is really a, a currency war. Sure. And, well, and it's, it seems to be globalism versus nationalism, and mm-hmm. there's a there's an effort for this. I, I think so, and I think it's related to currency because I think that the um, I think that the the globalist institutions that exist realize that fiat is going to collapse because it's a Ponzi scheme, and they they want to. Are both different flavors of collectivism, as far as I'm concerned. It's not sure. the right sure. to do it, but sure, as competition between the super class defined as the several hundred thousand richest, most powerful people on earth. I don't care how you define it. That's a thing. Um, competing amongst each other for a piece of their shrinking pie of exploitation because humanity is on the verge of an enlightenment and you cannot oppress, control, exploit people. And they, that their time as rulers is coming to I think they're getting their last licks and they're desperate in a dying system. Everything we've seen around COVID, the consolidation of wealth, the, the censorship, the policy of shutdowns and troll, like all of that, it's not, oh, we're doing, we're such great benign rulers who have the faith and confidence of the people. That's not it, man. And I think really what Putin's doing specifically right now is triggering a dollar collapse. And whether he is or not, the specifics of that are, are sort of less important to me than the general dynamics and the, the bigger picture of this human acceleration uh, that, that, is, that I see. Like, I, I, just, I don't see fiat currencies lasting as the dominant force that they are for more than another decade. Yeah, they're going to last. They're going to they're be around for decades. But fundamentally, is like sort of the way that humans do money. No, it's gonna it's gonna move to crypto, you know, something like ten years. I, I hesitate to make timeline predictions. That's I'm a little weak on that, but I'm very strong. I think on seeing the dynamics in this, very confident, right. and I'm very optimistic as a result. It's only a matter of time. I got a crazy theory that I want to run by you. See what you think. I don't believe that Rome ever fell. I believe that it just became the Roman Catholic Church. All right, I'll do you one better. Do you one better? <laughs> historical revisionism. I'll give you Adam's full tour. No, we'll go back to um, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was a vicious racist who didn't give a fuck about the slaves. He only cared about preserving his power in the Union. That's con- true. You can just read his speeches. The Constitution was a coup, the coup of 1789, which Articles was the Confederation of the Declaration of Independence, which led to the Articles of Confederation, which was a document between the colonies by consent, whereas the Constitution was forced nine out of 13, and there was coercion involved behind that, which actually was motivated by a desire to create a standing army and a central bank. Most of the founders were against, obviously, a government that didn't respect consent and legitimized slavery, taxation, intellectual property, among other ethically problematic things uh and world war ii and the holocaust was not what they tell you it was it was actually oh god here we go what was it uh, no i mean 
really, we'd have to be pretty naive to, to not acknowledge that the, 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 the victors don't write the history. But the Holocaust was the extermination, not of a deliberate racial group, but of one to two million. And it wasn't even a deliberate extermination. It was the death of one to two million in labor camps of gypsies, Jews, and other undesirables. But 70,000 Freemasons. What it has been made to be, in hindsight, has been a justification for militarism. And the modern so military. You think only one to two million people died in the Holocaust? Yeah. And you think they just, they're lying about the 11 million or 6 million or whatever the number is? You don't even know. You've heard it, was, it used to be more. They used to tell us it was more. Right. Huh. I haven't looked into it enough to say either way, but I know everybody's just going to really love that 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 opinion. <laughs> what started me on this actually was the work of uh, David Cole slash David Stein. He's gone by both names. And you can still find his videos online. Uh, I think they've been taken off YouTube. But he actually toured Auschwitz and proved mechanically that it wasn't an extermination chamber. Really? Do you remember at all, like, the details of his explanation? Yeah, it's open inwards instead of outwards. I mean, it, it's there's some, like, just obvious shit that he go, wait a second. Yeah, that's a myth, too. Surprise, surprise. I mean, anything that leads you to hate other people, you should be skeptical of. Like, right now, they want us to hate Russians. Right, right. So when you look at the photographs of some of the survivors of these camps, just gypsies. Oh, they, they, were, they were vicious, inhuman. Like, I'm not saying that the Holocaust didn't happen. I'm not saying it wasn't a thing. I'm saying it's been exaggerated and misframed. But it's very obvious from Hitler's writings and his speeches that he absolutely hated Jews. Of course. And he was a quarter Jewish himself. Yeah. I'm more than Hitler was. I'm probably right. also German than Hitler was. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 because he was born, he's Austrian, right? right. <laughs> Both more German and more Jewish than Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get to have an opinion on this, therefore. <laughs> have you ever taken the time to actually watch his speeches in any depth? Uh, no, oh, excuse me. By the way, um, I told my girlfriend we were doing an hour. Oh, sorry, dude. I've just been getting carried away. If we need to cut it short, we can do another. We can, we can do, we can always do this again. What made me think was that my battery was dying. Well, so let me, let, let me. I mean, if you have any burning questions, I'm not, I'm not in, in a rush. No, no, no. It's cool. Let's wrap it up. That's fine, dude. We'll do it again sometime. Let me wrap up with my, uh, with my general pitches. You don't mind? Got it. Well, yeah, absolutely. If anybody wants to get in contact with me, I check my own email. Adam at thefreedomline. Dot com all three words the freedomline.com adam at the freedomline.com i'm a big fan of telegram telegram is awesome i have uh three channels there three i think uh adam versus the man is my main one i treat it like my twitter feed we put everything in there uh we also have a private thing for for patrons called our producers club it's a lot of fun it's a private telegram channel i have a good conversation going there um then i have one for the garden of freedom if you look up the Garden of Freedom on, on Telegram, you'll find it. And we have one for our nonprofit here for veterans. Um, you know, veteran suicide is still an issue. Uh, I didn't think it would be at this point, sadly. Uh, basically, we're going to get vets stoned in the woods. Um, so all the all the, all the the uh, alternative therapies not available through the VA, we're making available here. Uh, psilocybin, cannabis, 
MDMA, ketamine, at least are the big four that we want to help veterans explore. Um, my videos now, we post, as I said, on Odyssey. You can find me at Adam Kokesh, K-O-K-E-S-H, on Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-C-E. And the one place I'm still on social media, I kind of hate to admit it, but I do enjoy Twitter. And I'm on Twitter at, at Adam Kokesh, A-D-A-M-K-O-K-E-S-H. And that's just because Twitter's kind of like, it's kind of like a public square where everywhere else it's sort of like a private channel. And uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't endorse Twitter. Um, but there's a certain, and I am, I am on Facebook, like, and we, we broadcast there as a backup channel, but I have not engaged with Facebook for many years. And I think I have enjoyed better mental health as a result. So, um, I'm live with Adam versus the man every Wednesday at 5 PM Pacific for anywhere from two to four hours, whatever we feel like doing here and, uh, encourage everybody to check it out. And if you want to support what I do, definitely appreciate all the monthly pledges that go into helping us build our life here and uh, promote our, our activism, uh, patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. And don't forget to support this show because Chase isn't in it for the money either. If you've enjoyed so it, money, man. <laughs> made it to the end of this episode, I know you appreciate what he does. So put your money where your eyes and ears are. I don't know, Chase, what would do your plug at the end too? all the they know where to find the links they got me (laughs) thank you though man i really i I really appreciate you coming on it was an honor and a pleasure to have you independent media without corporate sponsorship pushing a corporate or status agenda requires an active and engaged audience to succeed and chase couldn't do what he does without you so thanks adam i appreciate you coming on man we'll stay in touch okay absolutely See you, man.